Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley, and it is February 10th, 2021. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, hold on. Let's just, okay, let's make sure our, our phones are on mute. There we go. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. We thank you for preserving your word all the way to 2020 so that we can trust in it. We can hang our lives on it. We thank you for those who have joined and we pray for wisdom as we approach the scriptures that are in front of us tonight. We ask for uh, prayer for those who are sick, uh, those who are still uh, recovering, and, and for the memories of those who have passed. Uh, so, Father, as, as we get to the end of this pandemic, we pray for wisdom for all involved, uh, those who are giving care especially as well. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, welcome, Bill. All right. All right so we are getting underway and... As you know, we are studying in Romans chapter 8, and as already we have a lot of comments about the notes, verses 30, let's just see what verses those are. I believe it's 38, 39, or 37, 38, somewhere in there. Let's see. It is 38 and 39, yes. So, whether we can conquer that tonight, we'll see. We'll take our time. There's no rush, I don't think. But uh, and and then I thought about it. I said, well, you know, we're headed into Romans nine, which is very controversial according to many. But we are going to take it. Uh, but then I thought, you know, we do Romans eight also deserves a review. So we will definitely take time for a review probably next week if. Maybe we don't finish this week, we'll get to a review and finish next week. So, not to put you off, but Romans 9 will be coming, God willing. So, so what we usually do at this time, we take some, some opportunity for questions, answers, thoughts, ideas, opinions. Uh, the floor is open. Would any of my guests like to ask any questions or make any comments? If, if not, then um, I have a comment to make. Sure, Dwight. Go right ahead. I know that we talk about love in terms of motivation, knowing God's eternal plan and his goal there and what our role is um, here on earth as members of the church uh, towards his plan and understanding love as being the motivator, why Jesus did what he did and why he is asking us to love one another. And, and, um, he explains that everything he does and everything he says is what the Father tells him, exactly what the Father tells him because he loves the Father. And I was also taking a look at uh, 1 John chapter 4. And that's the famous chapter that has um, the phrase, God is love. 
in there. So in 1 John 4, 8, as well as 1 John 4, 18, and I'll read 4, 17 and 18. Uh, by this, well, I, I don't know how far back I can go. <laughs> Let me just start with 17. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And I was thinking about that phrase that God is love. Um, and understanding that the, the Greek word behind that is, is agape. Um, the definition and the way it's used in 1 John 4 seems to lend itself that um, love is more of an object in this case. So it's, it's a, um, a thing or a place, or in this case, a person worthy of benevolence or affection. You know, what is our, um, you know, what are we drawn to? Um, and I think Thayer would probably agree with that. Um, so how do you, how would you make a distinction between that use of the word that God is love versus being a, uh, a clear motivation for why we would do something. Yeah, good good thoughts, Dwight. Yeah. So, as you know, love is one of those topics that we have been in, especially since we've been covering John 14 and John 15. And the analogies abound. So, one thing about love to think about is is when I, I think about love uh, I'm sorry did did someone else say something well I was I was just going to interject you know one quick uh, thing go right ahead Bill uh, when he talked about the love in, in John but, so the the attributes of love that Christ um, bestowed or God's love it's not really a love that we also have the ability to bestow. Um, we talk about agape love. Um, that's a that's a love that that God has for all humanity, and our love ranges in different categories. Wouldn't we say? Uh, yeah. We, we a, I remember we did a study on love. We talked about. Um, there's an unconditional love, um, and then there's a because love. You know, then there's a love that we have, uh, like say for a uh, a spouse, different than a love that we may have for a relative. Um, there's a reason why we're attracted to the opposite sex, and that type of love is a different love than agape love. Um, I remember we did, did a study on, on love, and is that where you were going? Um, in general, yeah, we could we could talk about love that way. Although I think Dwight's thoughts were a little bit more specific. Uh, so, but but to your point, 
love can be uh, mean various things in all ways. I would say to, to really understand what's going on, we look at the context. Context tells us everything, pretty much. Uh, so whether it's phileo love or agape love or whatever type of love it is, uh, the context will bear out how we should apply and understand it. So, But what we've understood, something very unique, I'd say, is how love as a motivation for us. And, and why is love a motivation for us? Um, we, we turn to several scriptures, especially in Ephesians 3 and John. and uh, Jesus talks about it in, in John 14 at the very end. He says, the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So some of um, his motivation is shared with us there about how uh, love prompts obedience but what we've come to understand more even about love is, is that it doesn't originate with us, as you said, Bill. It originates with God. When we say God is love, and I'm still using love here as a motivation, that means that God loves something. What, what does God love? What is, God, what is within God that causes him to have this motivation of love. Uh, and when you think about it, we have something that's unique in this age where God has revealed his heart to us. So it's one thing to say, okay, well, let's surmise. Let's, let's see if we can figure out what God is thinking. Well, God's told us what he's thinking. He says that this, is, this love is what is most important to him. And then you've got two different styles of writing here. You got John's style of writing, you got the Apostle Paul's style of writing, and they all use different metaphors. For instance, Paul uses the mystery. John doesn't ever talk about a mystery. Paul uses words about, uh, you know, how he, he reasons from a Jewish perspective. John doesn't go there. He, he, but Don, John does deal with a lot of the apostasies that are coming upon the church. So I think the best way to, to try to speak to what you were saying is look at some of the verses where you mentioned love. Let's just talk about them. So 1 John 4, 8, for instance, says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So let's think about this. So let's see. Verse 4, 7, uh, and, and actually we could even go back further. Because we, I remember we went into this, but let's look at just 4-7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So this whole love thing that comes from God, and then we're supposed to have it uh, for each other, is, is kind of unique in that when we look at 4-8, there's this God is love. And John uses love in this way quite often. And when you look at the, the in love is like in Christ. In love is like in God. So whoever loves is, 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 this is coming from God. So it's, it's showing that God himself is the source of this love. 
So we have, you, we have, what we have done is united God's love with His plan. That's the motivation. So why, why would we do that? That's a, that's kind of difficult to maybe a, a, a leap for some. So we would do. Why would we unite God's love with His plan? Because what is God's motivation? If we think about who God is, and we think about creation, God created all things. There was nothing that has been made that God didn't make. There was no universe before God got busy creating things. So who is, apart from creation, who is God? What do we know about God? How, is there something in Scripture that can tell us what God was like before creation? Or do we understand God through creation? The heavens declare the glory of God and a firmament shows forth his handiwork. Well, if that's true, we can get we can glean that, but what that doesn't tell us about God prior to creation. We have some scriptures though that do. And those scriptures relate to God's eternal purpose, what was in his heart. So we know we know from what he created what we see and we can make some uh, we can make some comments about that. We can draw some conclusions. But what we come to know is that God's eternal purpose was not revealed prior to this time. So when I say this time, I'm talking about Pentecost. Since Pentecost, there has been information that has been revealed that was not revealed prior. So... What does that information tell us? What's important about that information with respect to what we just talked about? In other words, what was God doing before creation? What was he doing before all of this happened? And we have some really pertinent scriptures. And he, he tells, well, we could talk about uh, Ephesians 1.4. Uh, I'm coming back to John. So in Ephesians 1.4... Says that he well one three says praise be to God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ so that by itself is huge it didn't say we got earthly blessings it says heavenly blessings spiritual blessings but then it says in verse four how how, how does this happen he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So when you think about that, this happened prior to creation. So we're, now we're trying to pin down what could have happened prior to creation. Because then if we can examine that, we can understand what God was thinking. Right? We could get a little bit of understanding about what his motivation is prior to the creation of all things. Here's what happened. He chose us in him. Now, who's us? That's all of us. Not, we're not talking about all humanity. Because if he chose all humanity, that wouldn't be special at all. Uh, that's not according to, obviously not all humanity is chosen. Let's just put it that way. And so the, those who are chosen are specific Right? When we look at these Greek words that are around, 
being chosen and predestined and adoption and all of that, we find they're very unique. Right? So God of himself made this his sovereign choice. We learn that it is sovereign grace as well that does that. So, so we know God chose us before time began. So we still does does that is that love? The fact that he chose us? Right? It's, and what we I guess we really need to think about is is this some sort of plan that God has that he would choose us? And then we go to Romans 8. I mean, there's more to say here, but this, well, we don't have unlimited time. But we're, we're going to go to Romans 8, where we just came from. So, so here's some, I don't know where to start. There's so much. How about, how about we look at the fact that, uh, here, verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, when we see these words foreknown, predestined, they all take place prior to creation. So they're very, I think we really have to lean forward when we see these words, if we were trying to investigate something. So for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Hmm. Sounds just like he chose us in Christ, right? In him. And then verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So this is one thing happening, really, to, to those people, those special people, that God foreknew. Now, we're, we're not going to go into all the detail of those words, but from what we already uncovered, we see that they relate to a plan. This is a plan that God has. So what we could say, and, and then if we go back to Ephesians, we know there's a plan. Ephesians 3. And we can go through, let's say... 8 through 11 or so. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So God, even though he did create all things, he didn't tell anybody about this information. So that leads me to think, okay, wait a minute. So first of all, who is this God and what is he doing? Well, we realize that he has a plan. Here's the plan. He created all things according to this plan. So let's see, verse 10. His intent, well, now that's an important word. His, because we, to know what God's intent was, and this was before time began, is key, I would say. His, and that, whether we can break down this and get through all of the, uh, <clears throat> the words that have such meaning, his intent—I don't know—but his intent was that now through the church, now that's the church did not exist. God created the church. Jesus said He would build the church. Right? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So. So three, 
groups of people are represented, even though I didn't read the first group. The first group talks about uh, Gentiles. Right? It says, uh, to preach to the, this verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Second group, and to make plain to everyone. Right? So that's Jews and that's not only Gentiles, but Jews. Who else is there? And God's intent is that the church, the manifold wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. And here it is in verse 11. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So, God is seeing a plan. He's seeing the fruition or the end of that plan being accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what does God want? Well, here, it tells us that he has an eternal purpose. He, he is not just existing, uh, floating, you know. Well, I don't think I have anything else to do. Why don't I create all things? Why not? And we'll take it as it goes. Well, we might behave that way. God doesn't. He has an organized, well-orchestrated plan that is according to all things. So if we keep reading Ephesians 3, Paul lets us know that love has to do with this in a big way. So you can see not only is it God's motivation to let us know that we are important in the plan, but also that we have this love. And this love goes beyond knowledge, it says. It surpasses knowledge. And the people who have this love can understand that. So, for instance, verse 18 and following, that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So there we have more information about how this love is not something that can be known by human capability. So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, if you know this love and you know the dimensions of this love, which is high and wide and long and deep and so forth, then that is literally saying that you understand the, the Father's plan. You understand what his intentions were from eternity past, before time began, before he created all things. So the love itself, when we talk about God as love, uh, we can't understand that attribute of love unless we understand what that love is for. So what does God love? He loves what he is doing. He loves his plan. He loves his intentions. It, it may be an aggressive plan in your view, but in God's view, it's a, he's able to accomplish it. So it is within his power to do. And that's exactly what he's fulfilling. And so now, if you say you love God, but you don't know what his plan is, and I would say 
you probably need to understand his plan before you can make the statement that you love him. Because the love that he wants us to have for him is the same type of love Christ had. He says, I love the Father, and I want to do exactly as the Father has commanded me. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have. Now, what about for each other? So in John, uh, this is going to take a while, but we got time. So John 15 is where we started. So we talked about in John 15, I am the, the father planted the vineyard in verse 1. He cuts off every branch and so forth. And uh, it is the objective here to bear fruit. But when we got down to verses 7, we started understanding a little bit more. So he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now what this does is it takes out of uh, you just coming up with anything you want for abiding in Christ. You could, somebody might say, what is abiding in Christ? Well, it's being very spiritual. It's being, you know, whatever people could say. They could say whatever they want. But not with these following verses. Because verses 7 forward talk about that it has his words are part of it. And what does the words mean? If we go back into context, Jesus revealed to the disciples the Father's eternal plan. At least the introduction of it. In verse chapter 16, he says, I got much more to tell you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, when is at Pentecost, he will guide you into all truth. So, what was Jesus revealing here? He was re revealing the introduction to the church age, which, which age we are in now. So then, after he gets through with this thought of his words remaining in you, because it's related to what we're doing here. We can't just say we're abiding in Christ, but we're not you know, following according to what the Father's plan is. So then he continues. So, uh, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So, how did the Father love Christ? Well, we saw that Christ came to do his will, and it, it is he is basically the pattern. It is in Christ that we are being conformed to his image. Right? Christ is the Excuse me, he's the focal point of the Father's plan. All this was accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, as we read. So, if the Father has loved me, well, how did the Father love Christ? He, he has him in his plan, and he put him on the earth to fulfill that plan. Now Christ is saying, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. How do you do it? Well, you got to know what your role is down here on the earth. So, and then he goes on. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Pretty clear that the father has a plan, as also talked about in the first verse. Father is the gardener. He's the one who's planted what he wants. So, and then he goes on and says, so not only is the Father of Christ, Christ has loved us, 
So if you if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. My joy may be complete. Here, my command is this. Here is the one. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. And then he goes into this whole thing about friends. But then verse 17, he comes back to it because that's what he's talking about. This is my command. Love each other. So, the loving each other cannot mean that it is divorced from what God, God's eternal purpose is, after all. So going back to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. How do we love each other? How do we do that? 1 John 5, here are some verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So it goes on, but you can see John is seeing this uh, plan unfold through love. That's how he sees it. So I'm going back to 4.8. 4.8 says, well, we were just reading 7 when we first started. Uh, Dear friends, let us love one another. Love comes from God. This is, this is God's plan for us while we're here. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So this love is, is unique, right? This is not just any love. This is God's love. And then in verse 8, whoever does not love, well, because they don't know God, because God is love. So we could put the plan. If you, don't, if you don't know the plan of God, then you don't know God. Because God, that's, he's about that plan. Verse, let's skip down to 17. Here. And this is how love is made complete, or your, your translation said perfected, but complete, meaning love is something that grows. It's like we talk about growing in grace. Love can be made complete, or we can grow in love and to the point where we're complete. But when, when that happens among us, we will have confidence on the day of judgment. So why confidence? Because if we have the same love that Jesus had, what, what love is that? The love for the Father and doing exactly and so forth. Then we are like Jesus, as it says in this world. So when we show up at the judgment seat of Christ and stand before Jesus, certainly we're going to have confidence because we think just like him. We've been transformed into his image. So we love because he first loved us. So, not to be sentimental, but love is tied to a lot more than just being, uh, having affection or caring uh, about someone in, in a particular way. It has to do with spiritual growth. So, and knowledge of the Father's plan. That's how we relate it. And there's a lot more we could say. I will pause.
uh, thank you for being quite thorough with all of that. And uh, I appreciated you drawing out the nuance between the writing style between Paul and John and, and uh, pointing out the similarities, the different phrases that they use. That Paul will talk about the mystery, and uh, John just simply uses the, the term in love to mean in Christ and, and that sort of thing. I wanted to point out that uh, when looking at John, 1 John 4.17, um, that the confidence that someone has for the day of judgment um, is, is above and beyond the assurance of salvation. So absolutely we have an assurance of our salvation that is by grace. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Um, and we shall never perish. So we have that assurance. Um, but this confidence speaks of something else, of, of speaking of knowing our role and executing our role down here on the battlefield. So when the day of judgment comes, we, we know that we're on par, um, we're synchronized with um, God's plan. Absolutely, Dwight. In fact, <laughs> when, when we talk about salvation, we, we have to understand that it's free. Uh, it does not cost us anything. I mean, when it says the salvation is not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, not by works done in righteousness, uh, by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, so we are to understand from those words, if, if we don't understand anything else, we should understand that salvation is free. So there's a very low bar to cross. For, I shouldn't even use that term, low bar. Because there's nothing we can do, not even cross a low bar to get to salvation. It's free. It doesn't cost us anything. So there's no achieving it. There's no working up to it. There's no, uh, you know, being rewarded because we were good about it. Oh, enter in now, you've received and, and receive your salvation. None of that is applied to salvation. So... When it comes to that, um, this can only mean that we are able to understand the deep things of God. So, if I pushed you over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we, it says this in verse 9, it says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things... God has prepared for those who love him. So that loving him means you understand. And what, what are these things? He says, these are the things, verse 10, that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Well, these started being revealed at Pentecost. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Now, it is not a requirement of God that you love him in order to be saved. It is not a requirement of God that you understand the deep things of him, of God, before you can be saved. The things we've been talking about are deep things, because we're going back to understand the, the mind of God prior to creation and, and what his eternal purpose is. Now, if you look back here, uh, since we're in 1 Corinthians, verse 6, we do, however, because Paul said earlier in these chapters that, Wisdom is foolishness. You know, there's 
human wisdom is nothing compared to God. But in verse 6 he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But notice who he speaks this message of wisdom to, those who are mature. So then he goes on in verse 7, No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So we're talking about a wisdom that's destined for our glory before time began. When did time begin? Time began with the creation of all things. So this is before that. So that means that that qualifies to be a part of what we have been discussing here about God's eternal purpose. And what was he thinking? What was he thinking? And we see that this wisdom was destined for our glory before that time. And so God planned all this out. So now we're playing it out at this point in time in human history. So, as we said, salvation is free. These things, if you can assimilate or understand or get to the place where you are growing up in Christ, there are rewards for us. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as you said, and, and have confidence, it is because uh, we have achieved something. But it is not salvation. It is that we have grown up. We can see eye to eye, right? We understand the height, the depth, the width, the length. Right? And, we, and to know this love that goes beyond knowing, right? We have come to that place where God, and not on our own, let's just say, it is God the Holy Spirit, or, or better said, the Spirit of Truth, who has led us into all truth and allows us to understand such things. And even talk about it in terms of wisdom. It's not just, well, just know this and be able to reproduce it on the test. No, we're talking about wisdom in this area. This is the destiny for every believer in Christ in this age, that we come to the knowledge of the truth. So, yes, the confidence that we have here is not around salvation. Salvation is a point in time, so, as Shakespeare said, to be or not to be, that's the question. And if you are saved, then you be. <laughs> Don't get me all mixed up with this old English speaking. But in any case, you are absolutely right. Salvation is not something here spoken of. Uh, we're talking, and we should see the two lines of thought here. Salvation is free. Anytime you read about it, it's just receive it. The only thing you can do to, is receive salvation. There's nothing else you can do. You can't talk about you know, change what God's requirements are for salvation. You can't come up with your own thoughts. You have to do it his way, according to his personal standards. And we do. The moment we're saved, we shall have eternal life. We shall never perish. We shall never, in any circumstance, be perishing when we have received salvation. So, good, good, good uh, follow-up. And um, the floor is still open. Yeah, I just wanted to make a uh, comment on uh, uh, 
First John 4, uh, where it says, uh, 417, uh, it says, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. Uh, then it talks about punishment mm-hmm. for, uh, for fear. Mm-hmm. But it says, uh, we have confidence right above it on the day of judgment, which is the evaluation seat of Christ. I think a lot of people look at judgment and uh, they're talking about salvation. And I think they can confuse that judgment. Uh, It's the evaluation seat of Christ. And, you know, it it says over in... um, um, 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And uh, so love, even though John doesn't speak about the mystery and the plan of God in detail, like Paul does, I think when he mentions love and he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being the capstone of the plan, uh, it's certainly he's Hitting all around the, the mystery, uh, but you know, that that judgment. A lot of people look at judgment, and Romans eight one it says, "Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus." Absolutely. So, uh, a judgment is not having to do with it's an evaluation, and yes. it has nothing to do with eternal judgment. Yeah, I mean, if we're if scripture says you 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 will have eternal life and you will be saved what is there to judge uh it's not by works so there's no need to look at a person's works it's not by works run, done in righteousness which we, we certainly not a, um, any reason for us to look at what your our good works are even that can't help us it's not by that it's a gift only thing we can do is receive it that's it if you do any try to do anything else that means you're trying to earn it or deserve it which that uh, disqualifies grace. Grace says, uh, if, if it, Romans eleven six is that one verse that really says it cancels the thought of grace. Right? So Romans eleven six says, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So you destroy grace by adding works. And so this is why I say, I say it's a low bar, but it's really, I'm going to stop saying that because there is nothing for you to climb over, even if it's low. The only thing you can do is receive salvation. That's it. And, and if you, the only way you can receive it, is, receive it is to believe in Christ. Uh, so it says John 1, 12 and 13. Those who have... Uh, received him, believed in him. That's how they, it happened. They believed in Christ. And that's how they have eternal life. So, yes. So, the judgment... I'm glad God is going to evaluate us. You know, don't we want to have some evaluation? Us believers, that is, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, it says judgment because he will examine our works to see what quality or sort they are. And then... You know, that is important to God because he does not want, he has standards. He does not want uh, us uh, doing works that, um, you know, are not befitting what his motivation and his standards are. 
So those will be thrown out. And a good example is the one, the, the verse in 1 Corinthians 3, where he talks about wood, hay, and straw, gold, silver, and precious stones. And if you build on it using gold, silver, costly stones, your work will be shown for what it is, that they have, will bring it to light, but it will be revealed by fire. So, you know, that literally says God's going to scrutinize your works, so, which is a good thing. Let's, let's not see that as... I, I, think it's worth, I think it's worth mentioning the rest of that in First Corinthians 3, that even though your work will be burned up and you will suffer loss, um, the person is, is still saved. Yes, absolutely. The salvation never becomes a, a, you know, something that's teeter-tottering on the fence and it looks like it's going to go either way. No, it's, it's absolutely a done deal. This is to determine... Um, a, a level of reward that comes from executing God's plan. Absolutely. So you have two examples in 14 or 15. You know, um, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Well, there it is. Now, obviously, he's talking about ministers here. And ministers uh, that the Corinthian church were arguing about, but... Um, Still, the ministers get a reward as well as everyone else. Uh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Second Corinthians 5, 9. So, but if it's burned up, well, that means that the, the builder did not use the proper building material. Now, he has the foundation, because if you look at verse 10, by the, by the grace given me, I, I laid the foundation as a, wise mass, as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it. Each one should build with care. So he gives the scenario here. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But he yet will be saved. Why? Why? Because the salvation is by grace. It's not by whoever built on the foundation. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, he, does, he, he gets he saved, but none of the work that he did in his whole life in terms of trying to build... Uh, the on the foundation, will survive. So God will scrutinize, as we said, every work, but it doesn't, it doesn't impinge at all on our salvation. Right? Salvation is my grace. If it, if, it were, if it were by works, then we would have something to worry about. But it is by grace. So we jumped into love. To me, love is... A sort of deep subject even though we could talk about it generally speaking but as you can see it deals with a lot of thought that uh, uh, but I think we are called in this age and we have sufficient scriptures to be able to manage as we have God the Holy Spirit leading us through those scriptures so let's take some time to uh, think about love we have spoken about this a lot in our previous, especially John 15 and John 14, that, that series. We, we've talked about love because it is the primary motivation in the church age. It is. We, it, it is so important that we come to not just obey, right? We, we need to have uh, an understanding that, that we uh, have the proper motivation to obey. Obedience in the Old Testament, God says, here's the law, just be obedient to it. There was no inward 
motivation, uh, allowing people to come to believe uh, or, or to be faithful to the law. Uh, that's why I failed. So in, in our age, we have God, the Holy Spirit. He's already on the inside of us. He's indwelling us, and he is vying for us to fulfill the Father's plan. That is the goal. And so we, all we, we do in this age is cooperate with the Spirit. That's the, the goal. Will we uh, cooperate with the Spirit and, and not refuse Him, resist Him, quench Him? Those are things that are important. So I'll pause. Other thoughts out there? All right, silence. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, sounds good. So, you know, what? we will begin then. Thank you for the questions and the thoughts. Right? That's, uh, maybe, maybe we can take some more time on that later on and, you know, dig into some more of those passages. So, if you have your notes, let's go right into Romans chapters 8, 38, and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the last thought we ended with was the quote to give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. There are only certain things in this life we can invest ourselves, where we can invest ourselves completely. When it comes to God, we cannot see who we, whom we cannot see. We must grow in His Word to that place of confidence. No matter what comes, God has us securely, and we are eternally in His plan, even when we are ignorant or doubting. Now, that's it. You know, what I noticed when I wrote this long, as people say, long outline, is I didn't use a whole lot of scriptures. And it's the last two verses, and partly my thinking here is we covered all of them. We covered all of them, not only in this, probably in this chapter, if we just think back. And when we do the review, if there are questions about, hey, where'd you find this? Or where'd you find that? It, it's here. I'll show you. But these are more concluding statements from the Apostle Paul. And, and I also uh, would say the same. They're concluding statements from me. So let's dig in and see where we can get. So convinced. I am convinced. Now this word, uh, patho, I've always been calling it patho. And this is the first time. I've noticed that uh, it looks like the transliteration is pytho. This is a Greek word, but it's spelled P-E-I-T-H-O if you just look at the word. But then when they phonetically uh, are saying how you pronounce the word, they don't pronounce it pytho. It looks like pytho. In any case, it means to be persuaded, right? It means to... Uh, these are all the the meanings of the word, to be persuaded, um, to, to cause someone to believe, 
to have faith, uh, to, uh, to be persuaded of a thing concerning a person, to listen to, obey, yield. These are all ways that this word is translated in Scripture. To be confident, have confidence, or be confident. So this word, um, when, when, I should say, when we are persuaded, this is point B, by the testimony of God, uh, right? this is what happens. It is God, the Holy Spirit. He's the one who makes this real to us. Now, we think we're very smart people. That's what really happens. You know, when we learn something, we think, well, I was able to get that, no problem. We look aside, look next to the person uh, who's next to us, and we think, did you get it? And the person says, no, I didn't get it. We're like, yeah, that's because I'm smart, and you're not. Right? We, we have this arrogance within us, right, that we have figured something out or we know something. But really, that's not true. That is far, in fact, it's far from the truth. What we need to do is learn to depend on God, the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher in this area. So I just wanted to give an example of John 3.36. I want to turn there. John 3.36, I have quoted this, I don't know, a million times, and that's an exaggeration. So John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has life. Now the word believes there is the word pistis or pistuo. Pistuo is actually the word, it's, it's, the, it's the verb. So whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Okay, got that, right? But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So that word rejects, NIV translated, translates it, rejects. But the word there is actually our word with a A in front of it. So it's apetho. Apetho. I'm going to try to say it like this. Forget it. I'm just going to say it like I say it. Apetho. That's the word rejects. So it doesn't mean he does not believe. It means refused, refuses to be persuaded to believe. Right? So there's, there's an influence that is seeking to per, per, persuade him to believe, to convince him to believe. But the person, in the face of all that, still says, no, I will not believe. So this is about salvation, obviously. But our verse in Romans 8 is not necessarily about salvation. We'll talk about why that is later. But the word is the same. right? It refuses to be persuaded. But the person who is persuaded, what does he do in the, in the verse? He believes. He's persuaded, so he believes. Even though pathos not there, we can see that in the definition of pathos, it, it allows us to believe. So, the thought is, is that who is persuading us? And I'm making the point, it is God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who is on the inside, and he is persuading us to believe. And what is Paul uh, convinced of? What is he persuaded by? And he's getting ready to tell us. And we saw some of it last week. But now we're going to get the rest of what Paul is persuaded by. And we know who is persuading Paul or having Paul come to these conclusions. It is God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. This is what, what point B is. We are 
persuaded by the testimony of God, which is the word of God, and it's made real by the spirit of truth. So just because you read the word does not mean you understand it. Reading the word, listen, everybody, the Bible's been around for a long time. I would say the New Testament, over 2,000 years now, the Bible has been here. So it, with, with that thought, you would think, wow, everybody should know what's with the Bible. Well, just reading the Bible isn't enough. You have to have the spirit of truth leading and guiding you to the proper understanding of truth. Otherwise, we'll make a mess of things. That's exactly what's happened. So let's look at the thought here. Is Paul is saying, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded. And how did I get there? Not because I have some smartness or, or intelligence or, or you know, I got a leg up on people. It's because of God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who convinced Paul of this, plus the revelation that he has. Oh, for us, it's the word of God. For Paul, it was the revelation that he received. Point C. When we come to the realization of truth, it is not on our own. It is an example of God working in us. And I always use, and this is appropriate to use Philippians 2 to help us understand the inner workings of how we come to spiritual conclusions. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you. So now, we just talked about God working in us, God the Holy Spirit, who is in us, right? And he, here's the verse literally saying, he is working in you to will and to act. So those are two things at the very seat of our motivation, to will, to want, and to act, to do. So the Holy Spirit empowers us in both of those areas because we wouldn't even want to do this stuff. We wouldn't want to come to a Bible study. In fact, I used to say years ago, before I was interested, uh, you know, I used to say Bible study's corny. Why would I go to a Bible study? That No way would I be caught dead in the Bible. I was dead. That was the problem. When the Spirit of God enlightened me, wow, I saw the Bible open up and come alive. Words jumping off the page. So it is God who works in you to do that, to will, to want. You wouldn't even have the want. God, the Holy Spirit, works with your will so that now not only you think you want it, when it really is God, the Holy Spirit, who helped you come to that conclusion. He persuaded you to come to the thinking that you want this now. And to act. So you don't even have to, once you have the will, you don't have the power to perform what you, what you would want to do. So God, Holy Spirit, again, helps in this area. So he literally gets down eye to eye with us, helping us understand the Christian life, helping us understand the will of, of God for our lives, willing to act. And what? So, so that we can have everything we want, so we can have that big house on the hill with the picket fence and the two-car garage and all that chicken in every pot. No, no, it's not to do with that. In order to fulfill his good purpose. His good purpose, not ours. So what are we, we are talking about here is, is fulfilling the purpose of God. This is the eternal purpose of God. That's his good purpose. So, well, let's go back to our notes. This, that verse always 
is important for us to understand the inner workings of how we come to the knowledge of the truth. And it makes sense that we should not take glory to ourselves as we learn these things. Make sure you don't. The point D, spiritual growth builds truth upon truth, allowing us to see and embrace the Father's eternal purpose. So think about that. See, this is, we talked about this on Sunday, how sermonizing fails at this horribly. It, because the minister comes up and he, he just talks about whatever he wants. And then next week he's got another thought. Oh, you know what? What about this? Next week is another thought. Oh, what about this? There's no cohesiveness, no plan, no orderly, orchestrated plan that we see here in the Word. It is just not there. So what happens as a result of this is believers are tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men and who lie in wait to deceive, says Ephesians chapter 4. So we talked about that last week to some degree to help us understand that we have to build truth upon truth. And don't be, you know, oh, well, you know, there's a whole lot of words and things that are said. And, and yes, I get that. But, but it is a matter of spiritual growth. Even in our maturation process, you know, physically speaking, we have to assimilate knowledge in order to be able to navigate in this world. We don't just automatically, innately learn things. It, is, it takes discipline. It takes uh, someone who is willing to give themselves before they are able to master information and then develop wisdom around it. So it, 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 it takes discipline on our part. So yes, I get, and, and this is what we talked about before, about being rewarded, right? If you get, God is rewarding you, he's saying to you, you cooperated with God the Holy Spirit. You allowed him to lead and guide you into all truth. So for that, you're going to be rewarded. Not for salvation, but for that. God is saying, I honor that. In fact, this is what we said before. If you really love God, that means you love his plan. And then if you execute his plan, that is the highest possible way you could tell God that you love him by executing his plan for you on this earth. that You're saying thank you. We could say thank you, God. You saved us. Thank you. Well, we could also say you saved us. Thank you. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to execute your plan. I'm going to show you that I do love you back. You love me first, so I love you now. I want to show you now that I have that love in my heart, which is your eternal purpose. Anyway, let's keep going because... Um, where are we point these so spiritual it builds that truth upon truth allowing us to see and embrace the father's eternal purpose and the question here is what are you convinced of what are you persuaded of my god the holy spirit so even if if you're not sure of anything then even if you're not sure of your salvation then that means that the holy spirit has more to teach you in that area but he wants you to be convinced of it sure it's like Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No, not ever perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Uh, there's enough scriptures around that theme 
to help us with God the Holy Spirit, enabling us, helping us to understand and to be persuaded according to that so we can rest on our salvation. We're not trying to do works. We're not busy trying to perform some good deeds in order for God to look at us with favor. We already know assuredly that we have eternal life. That's beyond thinking about. It's like, are you born? The question is, yes, I am. And the question then becomes, okay, are you born again? And a person keeps going and saying, yes, 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 I'm born again. But if we keep saying that, we never get to grow up. We never get to experience life. And in the same way, the spiritual life, right? It, once you're born again, that's it. You can't be born again again, like, like Nicodemus thought. What do you mean? Go back into my mother's womb? What are you saying, Christ? Right. So, so no, we're not talking about doing that. We have left the principles of the basic principles, and we are moving on to maturity. That's what God wants us to do. So, yeah, we got some. So here, let's move into this next section here. For I am convinced that neither death nor life. So, uh, quickly thinking about this. Nothing that happens in death. So that means there are lots of things where we can have fear with regard to death. We don't know. Right? Of course, we could read in the Bible that Jesus conquered death and the grave. We can read that Jesus, uh, yes, he was put to death by under Pontius Pilate. He literally died, but he came back to life. He's alive. More than 500 people saw Christ at the same time. This is not an illusion. This is not a dream. This is not something that was... Uh, you know, some lie that was propagated and more and more people believed it. This literally happened and we have eyewitnesses to this uh, effect. So we, we can know, we can have assurances that Christ says, he tells us, even if we do die, we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord. Right? These are, God, God tells us what happens. And it, but generally speaking, it does, I will admit, take a lot of understanding and persuasion by God the Holy Spirit for us to believe such things. Because even though that is our, uh, our lot, and that is the truth, if the moment we close our eyes in death, the very moment when we open our eyes, we are in the presence of God. Literally, that's how it works. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So, the question becomes, do you believe it? Do you have confidence around that? Will you rest on that? And because then those things allay fear. Fear is then pushed out of your mind because you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you when you die. But you should know from Paul's perspective, remember, this is his perspective, not necessarily ours. He says, I'm convinced. If I ask a lot of people here, are you convinced? And I wonder what will be the answer to all these things that he mentions. I wonder. Because in some of these things, I bet some people are still worried about such things. But that's okay. Because Paul said he's convinced. But we're trying to get to the place where we're convinced as well. 
don't see it as, well, you know, I'm sorry, I, I failed in this. I don't. That's okay. It's a matter of spiritual growth that we come to this knowledge. And so, so don't feel this is something that, oh, I must master by the end of the study. There's nothing like that at all. So, but we should know nothing that happens in death. Now, the fear of death is the biggest deal for us who are living. Well, not, not really, but this is what is so uh, talked about, is most people are afraid to die. But he's saying, in terms of the Father's plan, since we talked about him choosing us in him before the creation of the world, and how we are in the plan, we are those many sons and daughters that are being conformed to his image. We are those who have been foreknown and predestined and and called, and justified, and glorified. We are those very ones spoken about. So when he says nothing that happens in death, nor life can change or separate, is the question, can separate us from the love of Christ. So when we say the love of Christ, what are we talking about? The love that Christ has for us? The love that the Father has for Christ? It is the latter. It is the love that the Father has for Christ. And remember, we talked about the fact that Christ is not complete without us. Because if God uh, united us to the person of his Son, and we are, uh, we have this, you know, through the baptism of the Spirit, we are united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And now the person of Christ and us are identified forever. So when he talks about the love of Christ, it includes us. That's the plan. There's the part about him choosing us in Christ before the creation of the world. That's what is key here. So when we talk about nothing in life, nothing in uh, death, uh, so the point here is that uh, many don't uh, fear death. right? So suppose you, you get past death. But you are now, there's a fear of life. And as frightful as death may be, living is even more overwhelming. You know, I was just reading, it's about the military. And in the, the military, it's tough in this world. And um, we're just talking about the United States at this point. Because I would imagine this may be true all over the world. But there's an analogy, well, it's not even an analogy, it's just some, some statement that I've heard that every day 22 people die who were military in this country. And that's because, uh, and, and whether that is a, that number is accurate or not, and I read a whole lot about whether some people think it's not accurate and some people think it's more, some people think it's less, gotcha. But my thought is, that just gives us some indication that it is tough. The rigors of war are frightful. They are horrible, horrendous. And when a person tries to assimilate back into society, it is not easy. So even, the, what do they call it, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, that people get as a result of um, you know, seeing all the destruction and rigors of war. Right? They, they, they we're not made to see those things. And you can't unsee them. So when people come back, they just can't, it's tough. And this is not accounting for all the people who 
have problems as a result. Now, we're just talking about the people who actually commit suicide. And they're saying it's about 22 every day that goes on. It, that happens. And they have other numbers of, uh, I think you could see numbers for the year 2017 or 18 or 19 or 20. But not to get into that, the point should be made that is that it is tough living for some people. But nothing you do in life can, or, or in the living part, can cause you to be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from that love. It is the Father loving Christ, meaning it is His eternal purpose. So, that's, that's neither death nor life. We're going to cover one more, and then... We will finish all of the rest of these next week. So neither angels nor demons. So no angel or demon can separate us from the love of Christ. So this is the Father's eternal purpose. That, think about it. Now I, I'm going to just quote that every time. Because I don't want us to forget what the question is. The question is, will any of these things separate us? from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Can any of these things separate us? Now, we already know the end answer is that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We'll, we'll get to that, but we just want to make sure we don't forget the question and all of the things that Paul mentions here. So, no angels or demons. So, we know literally no angelic being, right, elect or fallen, no matter what they do, can change God's plan. Because that's literally what he's talking about. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's what he's talking about. Those he chose in Christ from eternity past. What's going to happen to them? All the, those things happen to them. So, and, so angelic beings, well... We gotta talk about Satan, right? We, we we should talk about Satan and all of his demons that are out there. Can what can they do to us? I know there's a scripture in John: "Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world." So Satan can't do anything to us. He can't separate us from. He can't um, sever the relationship that we have with the Father. We can't even sever the relationship that we have with the Father. It is uh, God who chose us. It, is, it, is, it was our choice to believe in Christ. But we didn't know by believing in Christ that God already chose us in him before. We didn't know that. All we said was, oh, God, I understand that I'm lost and I can't do anything because of what Adam did. I, I'm dead, condemned. Uh, you know, I have a sin nature. Uh, I, I um, am, am, am literally unrighteous before you. What can I do? Nothing but believe in Christ. So that's what choice I made uh, according to God the Holy Spirit again. Right, helped me along the way there. And I made the choice. And now I come to understand, full circle, that he chose me in him before the creation of the world. So, so yes, no, Satan... He cannot uh, do anything. Even if he showed up right now at my house, and I could 
give him my address, he could show right up at my doorstep. But there's nothing he can do to separate us or me from the love of Christ. This is beyond Satan. So, obviously, these verses are meant to allay our fears, our anxiety. Uh, Those things hold us back from giving of ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. So, just think. And, And then... We're talking elect and fallen. So we know angels are divided into two categories. There are elect angels, which means uh, they are on God's side, his servants. And then there are fallen angels, which we also call demons, evil spirits. And Satan is included in that, who resist God's will and his government and seem uh, trying everything they do to thwart God. So they're the enemy of God. And so, uh, nothing they can do. So, really, this thing is not some battle where we have to see, well, what's going to happen? This is a great controversy between God and Satan. And who's going to win? Is it going to be God? Is it going to be Satan? We don't know. We're going to have to wait to the last round. No, it's not like that at all. These angels, Satan, demons, whatever you want to say, cannot do anything to thwart God's plan. God's plan is sure. Sure as we are on this phone talking tonight, God is going to fulfill his purposes here. He's the one who created all things because he wanted to fulfill his purposes. So I said to note, God created all the angelic beings, all of them. So no angelic being has the power to thwart God's plan. No one can do it. And then as we're going to get to neither... The, the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor any, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will get it. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We'll talk more about all of this next week. And if we do have time, we will do a quick review of Romans 8. Romans 8, <laughs> as I'm thinking about all the glories that are mentioned... It actually literally says the sons of God will be revealed. And what happens as a result of that is amazing. We've covered it, but we will review it. So we're going to have to end, but we will come back next week and pick up right where we left off. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. You chose us in him before the creation of the world. We thank you. We don't know how to pay you back or to give back other than to show our gratitude by loving you, by coming to know your purpose, by coming to know and understand your plan for our lives and to fulfill what you want in this world, to give ourselves to you. So we thank you for those who have joined. We pray for wisdom as we put these things together, the verses, the understanding. We pray that the Spirit of Truth will give us the proper understanding of these things. Thank you for those who have joined, and we pray for for them as well, for their families. We pray for this church in a special way. Do you know uh, the struggles we have? And we're praying that we continue to overcome them just as you have called us to. All this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen.